Welcome back, everybody. It's Taco Tuesday! I'm Alex Padilla. I'm Alex Regla. Yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome back. This is Taco Tuesday. I'm Alex Padilla, at Alex Padilla, 86. He's Alex Regla, at Alex M. Regla. Alex, how are you today, man? I'm doing well, man. How you doing? I'm doing very well. Uh, it is off-season, peak off-season, because there is literally nothing happening with the Los Angeles Lakers. Or really, there was some news around the NBA. I saw Gordon got an extension with the Nuggets. I saw the Rockets are trying to work a trade for, I already forgot for who, but there's stuff going around. But for the Lakers, just not nothing, nothing. Uh, did we just, I don't know. I, you know, I, the last couple of days have been like, just like a big blank, but did the Lakers just sign someone? Oh no, no. They worked out Kenneth Fareed. I think that's the last thing I've <laughs> yeah. seen Lakers related. So, uh, yeah. So that, that's something to look forward to maybe. Yeah, I guess so. We'll see. I mean, it's just like, they're going to sign everybody and anybody seems like they can at this point. doesn't really matter who, but um, since it is off season and we're gearing up for training camp to start here at the end of the month, uh, Anthony came up with an idea of doing a preview series. So every podcast is going to pick a player uh, to preview the season and what we expect from them. And you reached out to Anthony, like right away, you jumped in, you text me. You're like, yo, can we do Malik Monk? And I'm like, sure. I don't care. Why did you want to do Malik Monk? For a few reasons, uh, selfish reasons. Well, one night I was working on something on Malik Monk, a piece. And then second, I'm like, well, I know someone who watched Malik Monk a lot last year. So I'm like, this is just perfect chance. And I've wanted to have him on the show and to talk with him a little more. So I thought this was just a perfect situation. And I, I I for one, am excited to learn about Malik Monk because you know how honest I am with our listeners. I really focus my attention on Lakers. So to, to sit here and tell everybody that I know what Malik Monk did with the Charlotte Hornets last year would be a bold faced lie. Like, I don't know anything about the guy. I was surprised when they got him. I think a lot of people were surprised when they got him because he was never on any rumors or anything, but we do have someone, like you said, that's part of the team and he is joining us right now. He is an editor and podcaster for silverscreenroll.com. You know him, you follow him. You've heard him here. Jacob Rude is joining us. Jacob, dude, thank you for joining us, man. This is going to be fun. Yeah, I'm excited. It's it is the dog days of summer and the off season, so uh, having something to look forward to talk about is rare during the uh, the bleak months of September. Yeah, if we, listen, the the two of us know about bleak months because we did a podcast during COVID for four months where there was literally nothing. Uh, this is at least we got a little something to talk about here. But Jacob, uh, tell us, just explain to everybody if, if for those of you that don't know, why are you so familiar with the Hornets and with Malik Monk in general? Yeah, it's a very roundabout way that it all happened. Um, it would have been, I believe, two years ago, maybe three, or yeah, two years ago, um, I took over Lonzo Wire, which was a USA Today website. At the time, we were only worried about Lonzo Ball mainly, and he was on the Lakers at the time. And in those two years, he was obviously traded. And then LaMelo, we figured out, crap, he's actually pretty good. Um, and he was drafted to the Hornets and I shot my shot basically and emailed the Hornets and said, Hey, I've covered LaMelo his whole, basically his whole career. Can I be credentialed? And they said, yeah. 
So basically, I well, not basically, I was a credentialed writer with the Hornets last season. I watched every Hornets game, so I was up close and personal as much as you can be during Zoom interviews and during the COVID times with mm-hmm. Malik Monk last season. So Malik Monk is uh, 23 years old. He just finished his fourth season in the NBA, was a 20, 2017 first-round pick, 11th overall. Um, just as how about, let's just start here. And then we'll, we could, Alex, I'm sure has more detailed questions. And, and I just kind of have general questions. I, I still, I've, I've looked him up a little bit, obviously highlights can only serve you so much on YouTube, but like you said, someone that watched game in game out, got a chance to talk to him on zooms, a general impression of what the Lakers are getting from Malik Monk. Yeah. I mean, he's at 23. It's rare for somebody this young to enter free agency, uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about that, but the Lakers have a, a really young, um, microwave score. Basically he came off the bench and for about the stretch of, uh, I think it was a little over 20 games, 28 games. I think, uh, he was incredible for the Hornets and was a big reason why that team was really good last season. He could fill them up in bunches and injury kind of derailed his season. He came back. I don't think he was ever healthy and he kind of finished the the season sputtered out as the Hornets did as a whole, but uh, he left Charlotte. As you said, I was surprised that the Lakers got him. If I remember correctly, the Kendrick Nunn news came out first and I thought Monk would get at least a taxpayer mid-level exception. So when they signed him, I kind of secretly wanted the Lakers to get him just because Malik's a really fun guy to watch and cover. And the, in, in my mind, I might be remembering this, remembering this wrong, but the none news came out and I'm like, oh, well, there goes that shot. And then immediately after it was like Malik Monk signing. I was like, oh, okay. Well, that was certainly a surprise. So he's more or less betted on himself this season. And uh, it should, it'll be interesting if nothing else, but it, it's exciting. Yeah, I was going to say, like you mentioned, this is a guy who, like Alex mentioned, was just outside the lottery when he was drafted, only 23, and he signs a minimum deal. Like, that just doesn't happen. I can't think of another player who that's happened to in a while. So why do you think, like, he can be gotten for so little? Or why did the Hornets Mm kind of not, you know, try to retain him? Especially after the year he had. Yeah, it's a little complicated. The only time I can really remember something similar happening was Nerland's Noel. Um, but it, it, so this kind of dates back to before the pandemic, uh, he was suspended, uh, right before that for violating the, uh, the anti-drug program. And so when they went into the, the shutdown, he was kind of in the doghouse already and the Hornets never played out of the or after the shutdown they were i think they called them like the the delete eight or something they were one of the eight teams that didn't play uh so he went pretty long between between games and um it he came out in the training camp obviously still in the doghouse he got covid on top of that during training camp and so there was a pretty big chunk maybe the first month of the season where he um, just wasn't playing. And I, th- I think it kind of uh, burned some bridges a little bit there. 
And Malik talked about it during the season. He, him and Coach James Borrego just didn't really see eye to eye. And uh, it, I mean, it, it was a working relationship, but you always got the sense that they they weren't always necessarily the biggest fans of each other. And especially at the beginning of the season where it, Malik was pretty healthy every time he played, he looked good, but for whatever reason, he just wasn't getting minutes. And then when he finally did get minutes, he kind of exploded onto the scene and was incredible for a couple months. So the relationship was pretty frayed there. And on top of that, I mean, the Hornets could afford to let him go because they have a lot of, they had a lot of really good guards. Uh, Lamelo was going to be the starter. He was always going to be the starter. Terry Rozier had a career year. He was always going to be a starting shooting guard. And then when they didn't extend the qualifying offer, they had Devontae Graham as a restricted free agent. And they obviously drafted James Booknight. So they had plenty of guards to where it was just, he was the odd man out. He didn't have a great relationship with the team or organization. So the only surprising thing, I never thought he'd come back. I thought they'd ex- at least extend a qualifying offer just just in case that they didn't even do that, I guess was probably a sign of how bad the relationship had gotten between the two sides. And But yeah, he I, I didn't think he was ever going to be back. And it really, it had very little to do with on-court stuff. It was just a lot of issues behind the court. He talked a lot. And even Coach Borrego gave him a lot of credit for kind of growing up off the court. And I, I don't want to use the cliche, but I mean, he said it. He kept, he kind of became more of a man. I mean, he still is just 23. He turned 23 during the season. So he's still young. And I mean, he, he had some figuring out to do, basically. And he started to figure th- some things out, both on the court and off the court last season. And I think that's what led to his really strong play. Yeah, so despite all the the stuff that you said about his his suspension, missing all the time because of the shutdown, not playing in the bubble, and then having COVID, he comes back and he almost has. Well, he does almost. He has a career year with a, a career high in field goal percentage, career high in three point percentage, career high in points, and a career high in assists. Um, so something positive came out of all that stuff. That's the good thing. Is I think that's also why it's surprising. It's I understand that the, that he was the odd man out with the Hornets. But coming off career highs and showing the improvement that he did, that was what really made the signing more of a surprising to me. You figured somebody would give him something. Yeah, I, I certainly did. Like I said, I was surprised when it was the Lakers he signed with. I Nothing has come out, but to me, he had to have turned down more money from somewhere else for all the reasons you said. Like, even for all the issues he had, even for how much he struggled through the first three years, he still was really, really good last year. And I think he was good in ways that are sustainable. And so I would imagine somebody had to, would be willing to take a bit of a risk. I don't see why an, an, like an OKC or a Houston or somebody like that might not have taken a chance on him. But I mean, he spoke about it during his introductory press conference he wanted to be around more veterans as well. He's been on some really, really young teams. Gordon Hayward was one of the oldest guys on the Hornets last season. I think he actually was the oldest, and he's only 30. So he's been on some really, really young teams in Charlotte, and he wanted to be around veterans. And 
there the certainly is. He picked the oldest. Team. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say there certainly are not uh, many more veterans than the one than the amount the Lakers have. Yeah, I was gonna say one of the things that surprised me about his year last year was his shooting because, like, if you look at the difference of his shooting last year versus the years past, like he's a, like I think coming out of college, like that was one of his strong suits, like that and his athleticism. And, um, like if, if you just look like at a chart, like his percentages, it's crazy how much it spiked in a good way this year. Like it popped all the way up to, he was like 42% three point shooter. Do you think any of that, or like what, I'm not sure how much a monkey watched before last season, but do you know, like, or can assume what changed really in terms of his on-court performance there? And do you think it's sustainable? I, I don't necessarily know. I, I didn't watch him before last season. I watched a little bit as um, I basically learned that I was going to be covering the Hornets. I had about with the short off season last year, I only had like two weeks between LaMelo being drafted, which is when I found out I was covering the Hornets and the start of the season, as I'm sure Lakers fans are were aware of, but so I didn't watch a ton of them last year. There were, I would say there was a couple things uh, he played really well off of guys and he played. So playing with Flamelo, things like that with Gordon Hayward, uh, he's not asked to do as much, uh, like pick and roll stuff, isolation stuff, things like that. Uh, it was a lot more spot up, which I know that he, he didn't have quite as much in years prior. And he was a really good spot up shooter last year, really good catch and shoot guy. And so, I think a lot of it was just having a a more defined role coming into the season. He, I mean, like I said, LaMelo was very much the point guard. One of LaMelo Hayward or Graham were always on the floor. And those are very much, those were the point guards and Malik could just be a scorer. He didn't need to be any kind of facilitator or anything like that. His role was to come off the bench, get lots of points and, that was about it. So I think maybe a more defined role helped him last season because also those, those years before last season, it was just a lot of development for the Hornets, which is, I mean, he, he didn't have as much of a defined role, I guess. It was just a lot of figuring things out, figuring out what you're good at, what you're bad at. And it was on a lot of, it was on teams that weren't very good. Uh, I know the Hornets played well, at the end of going into the the pandemic break, I know that was a talking point a lot last season. He played pretty well uh, going into the break. If you look at um, his numbers at the end of the 2019-20 season, the last dozen games or so, um, he played about as well as he did last season. The last 13 games were pretty similar statistically, a little less three-point shooting, but he scored really well. And he kind of just carried that over into uh, once he finally got kind of consistent minutes last season, he carried that over. But I mean, overall, I, I think it was just more of a defined role that you're going to be our go-to scorer off the bench. Once the season kind of, once things kind of shook out and Lomelo got into the starting lineup, uh, Malik was typically the first guard off the bench and he was a scorer, just go out and score. And in that regard, I mean, that's what the Lakers are going to ask of him as well. And that's right. one of the reasons I think that it can translate over to LA. I wonder how much that defined role he'll have though. You know what they expect him to do, 
but how much? You know, I think that's the biggest question with Malik Monk. We know exactly what they got him for. Stand over there, make some shots, and that and that's kind of your job. But do you, I, do you guys see him getting those 21 minutes a game like he did in Charlotte last year? I, I do. Go, yeah, I, it's tough because, like, like you said, Charlotte had a crowded kind of guard rotation. And although the Lakers, you know, they have Rondo now, they, like you said, they got none. And you have Westbrook and LeBron, who's always kind of your pseudo point guard. Monk is kind of, again, kind of more of a wing now, right? Than like a facilitator or a guard. Like if we look at it more of like an archetype instead of a position, like that's what his role is going to be. But again, he has vets ahead of him probably too. And Bay's more uh, Riza. So Monk is actually like one. That's why I picked him as well, like to, to talk about, because he's really unique. And again, he's one of the few young guys on the team. But in terms of like, who does he like propel himself over in terms of the depth chart. Like that's going to be interesting. He really probably has to shoot the ball well and like consistently um, to probably beat out some of those guys, especially in Vogel's eyes where defense is always going to be like the thing. Like if you play defense, you're probably going to play. And that's not really Monk's strong suit, right, Jacob? Oh yeah, certainly not. And if, I mean, if there was an on-court reason why he, didn't get minutes to start the season. Borrego very much is a defense coach. And yeah, it's not his strong suit is the the nicest way of saying it. <laughs> it he uh, he struggles defensively. That's why I kind of think his ceiling in the NBA is a sixth man. I, I mean, you can be a really good sixth man and a contributing sixth man, but uh, there's always going to be that kind of ceiling. And that was why at times late in the season, his minutes kind of waned as well. Like I said, I, when he came back, him and LaMelo both came back simultaneously. Neither of them looked good. They didn't play well, which they were thrown into a playoff race. The Hornets were collapsing down the stretch. And I don't know that they necessarily rushed them back, but I mean, they were thrown in and immediately playing 25 minutes a game and they didn't look ready for that and neither of them played well so the hornets i mean it was also because they were just there was no they were everybody was getting hurt on charlotte last year and they were running out of bodies and they needed those two back and to play but i almost don't even look at those final i think it was about a dozen games or so after he came back from that ankle injury because he just never looked like himself he didn't have the same explosiveness um it was, I mean, it was a confidence thing too. We, when he was going during the, uh, those 20 some games, like there was a confidence and kind of a swagger to him that I, he never was able to really get back once he got hurt and came back. But yeah, he, for, for this Lakers team, he has a skill set that I don't know, maybe nobody but Kendrick Nunn really has. And just being in a, a scorer that can do it in multiple ways. And for that, I think he'll be able to find minutes, but I mean, he's going to have to earn them between none, him, Bazemore, Ellington. Like he's going to have to certainly earn those minutes this season, which is also why I thought it was interesting that the Lakers is where he went. Cause he's not guaranteed time on this team. What does though excite me about him is that I feel like we know what we're going to get with Ariza, we know what we're going to get with Baysmore. You know what you're going to get with Ellington. With Monk, I just feel like if his trajectory is what he's shown, 
we don't really know what he can provide if he does break his way into a consistent bench minute and bench role. Like if he is the guy that's going to come in and score and play 20 minutes a game, like Caruso did last year, like, I don't know what to expect from Monk. I don't know if he's going to come in here and shoot over 40% again from threes. Cause if he does, that's going to be massive for the team. So if I had to describe one word for what I'm looking at, at Monk is I'm excited. Curious. Uh, yeah. yeah. He's a uh, Lakers fans are going to really like him. He's a very easy player to root for very fun player to root for. Um, and when he was rolling, like I said, like, he was really, really good, and he was doing it all off the bench and just pouring in points. He had, like, his – I want to say his, like, fourth game once he was back in the rotation was a career night in Miami where he was hitting every shot. Uh, they were – it felt like all of them were three-pointers. He hit a huge three to send it to overtime. Um, he had all, all kinds of big plays. They had a, they had a huge comeback – in Sacramento, they were down like eight with like a minute to go. And he got the and one to put them up one with like a second left. I, I wrote that night that that was probably the death knell in the, in Luke Walton's coaching (laughs) coffin. (laughs) Alas, that was like their ninth loss in a row. And I was like, yeah, this one does it. This is a, a typical huge, like gut, gut punch loss. He clearly, he clearly stayed around, but, uh, yeah, I mean, when he really gets going, like, yeah, I read he that he had, um, he had uh, two games over thirty points and eight games over twenty points. So that potential for for being excited and scoring is there. Yeah, and hilariously, both uh, games over thirty points were against the Heat. He, for whatever reason, just always plays really, really well against the Heat. So I guess we can chalk up two games that he's going to have really good <laughs> nights against Miami this year. But yeah, I mean, and all, all those games you saw, I think came in like the, the 28 games. I mean, if I was playing devil's advocate a bit, you're basically, if you're the Lakers, you're assuming those like 28 games of last season when he was really, really good are what he's going to be versus the like over 200 games elsewise. I, I think I've had to kind of convince myself of this argument because it's a really hard argument to make. You're basically saying there's a very small percentage is who Malik Monk is going to be when there's an overwhelming sample size that he he's been someone else through his career. Um, I think that, like I said, he made, changes kind of off the court and in his mentality. Um, he spoke about it a little bit. He said he used to take things personal whenever Borrego would make a decision, like not playing him or not giving him as many minutes. And he said he, he had to change his mindset in that regard, just things like that kind of maturity wise that, I mean, he was speaking on this before he was even back in the rotation uh, he talked about like when, when he wasn't playing, he took kind of the role of mentoring LaMelo. He would watch the game and talk to LaMelo during every timeout to just let him know what he was seeing, what he could do better, things like that. It said it helped him stay kind of engaged in the game. And so that he wasn't just sitting on the sideline watching things go by basically. So I think there was kind of a mindset change and some growth and maturity, I guess, that 
I believe will kind of pay bigger dividends, but yeah, I mean, like I said, when you boil down to it, you're hoping that those 28 games are different than the, or are going to be what carry over versus the, the 200 others. And it's a hard case to make, like I said. Yeah. Like I, like I was doing research on him and like, I forgot the whole Jordan thing with him getting slapped. Yeah. I I forgot that was Malik Monk. And Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people maybe who do remember that that's their last impression of Monk because he's really had a quiet career so far. And again, he's only 23. Like that's the wild thing. Like you're just talking right now, him mentoring LaMelo, like this guy needs to be mentoring himself. And that was something like in that introductory press conference, like you mentioned, I think one of the, the quotes that stood out to me most was like, he came here to learn how to be a pro. And uh, mm-hmm. he probably did pass up money. Like I, I would just assume so, unless a lot of teams are have red flags on him or something. But maybe he really just wanted to to come and play in this environment. And maybe, like you said, maybe that kind of mental wiring difference is the difference between him being kind of in the league or out of the league, which is kind of crazy to think about. But yeah, like it's going to be exciting in terms of him actually getting to learn from guy like a guy like Rondo, like obviously people have gripes with him and stuff like that. But in terms of like a locker room guy or on the practice court or something like that's gotta be a guy or him and Westbrook, even like that. Like, I, I think he's got the right veterans to learn from now. So that's what I'm most excited about with Monk is like, I'm not sure if he's going to be a Laker after this season, maybe not. I don't know, depending on who he plays, but maybe like him coming here kind of re- like rejuvenates his career and he kind of, get to like a second chance somewhere else. Because again, this is the 11th overall pick, 23 year old coming off a career year. Um, so I'm, I'm rooting for him. I'm really excited to watch him play. Yeah. It was interesting with that Hornets team, as you mentioned him being 23 and talking about mentoring LaMelo uh, most of the season, Bismack Biombo was kind of the, I would say unspoken leader, but a lot of, a lot of the team called him kind of the locker room leader. I mean, Bismack was amazing. He was very well-spoken. He spoke like a leader and it wasn't until like uh, the very end of the season, I was looking up something for him to do as I was writing. Bismack was 28 and he was like (laughs) this unspoken veteran, like locker room presence. Bismack's 28 right now. Yeah, I'm almost. Oh certain. my god! Okay. Yeah, and it, <laughs> it was mind blowing like, to me. Okay. Uh, he just he's turned 29 since. Yeah, he turned 29 in late August. But yeah, like they were talking about him being like all the young guys were like, yeah, Biz is like this great veteran presence and like really wise. And then it was like, oh my god, he's only 28. <laughs> and so that I mean, you that's a very fair point that like those Hornets teams were just crazy young and like even before last season. They just really didn't have Kimbo was a veteran there for a little bit. Marvin Williams was for a little bit, but it was like one or two veterans that I either got bought out or traded a lot of times mid season and just a whole bunch of young guys. So maybe it is a little bit of him. I've seen it framed as kind of betting on himself, which it probably is a little bit, but I mean, there is some validity for him wanting to go to a situation where like, he's the young guy and he's just surrounded by a bunch of veterans where he can be the one learning and he's not the one mentoring that guys like Rondo, like Russ, Bazemore, whoever it might be, Ellington are the ones mentoring him and he can learn in that regard. Um, Because yeah, I mean, 
I there are way there are reasons I think it, it was sustainable what he did last season. Like I look at his like open and wide open three point shooting, and like they were at 42, 43%. Like that, it's not like he was like that's like unseasonably high or anything like that. That's like a sustainable level. And like he was a really good catch and shoot guy, a spot up guy. Um, he was 90th percentile in synergy as a catch and shoot guy. So I mean these are all reasons I think this is sustainable. It was just a really unique situation, I think, that led to him leaving. But I think it could be one in Los Angeles where he can kind of flourish as just being the guy that is learning instead of the guy that is trying to teach people. Uh, me and Alex thought I brought this up last week about how I liked a lot of the guys they brought in because they haven't won a championship before. And the hunger from Russell Westbrook is going to be like on levels that we probably haven't seen from him before knowing that he has a real legitimate chance. Uh, as far as Malik Monk goes, how much, I don't know how much you guys put any value into this. Like the fact that he did take a minimum, the fact that Charlotte did give basically give up on him. He's 23 years old. If this doesn't work out for him, he could see himself playing overseas or not in the league anymore. Like that's another factor why you like he better learn to be a pro and he better have his head on straight and not have any dust ups or get slapped behind the head by LeBron. You know, like <laughs> this is this is a very important year for him professionally just just to be selfish. Yeah, very much so. I think uh, he. That's why I was so surprised when he came to LA because. I mean, this, yeah, like you said, this very easily could not work. And suddenly he's in a very interesting situation where I still think he would probably get one more chance on a team like an OKC or Houston. But I mean, that you're, I mean, this is still his like future that he's kind of bet on to come to this Lakers team. And again, if he's that player he was for those 28 games, he's going to get minutes and he's yeah. going to, to find a role on this team. But that's still a heck of a bet to make when it's millions and millions of dollars in your future that you're kind of gambling right there. Yeah. Cause we've seen like, obviously he's in a different situation than veterans, but like once veterans or players take the minimum, it's really hard to kind of break that trend of teams offering you more than the minimum. Obviously he's a different case. He's a 23 year old. And if he shows he can shoot the ball the way he did again last year. Uh, yeah. Like shootings at a premium, like someone's going to pay him. I think that's what, blew my mind at honestly that they got him at that price. That's why I was really excited to have you on. Like, does any of that kind of scare you in terms of why he came at a minimum deal or there wasn't a lot of like, we didn't get a lot of reports. Like usually when, you know, agents do their work, we get some rumors like, Oh, these teams are interested in Link Monk. He was quiet. Like I forgot he was on the market before the Lakers signed them. Yeah. The only reason I knew he was on the market is because he was somebody I I was specifically paying attention to because I enjoyed covering him last year. Um, yeah, I I didn't really understand why there were no reports either. I think I had tweeted just before, maybe the day of him signing, that it was really odd that there was just no buzz about him because he did have a really good season last year, and you would think somebody would be interested in him. Uh, I I don't know the whole story as to what led to him coming here and if teams were interested, but as, I don't know why they wouldn't have been. It wasn't like he was a bad locker room guy. Like everybody in Charlotte loved him. Everybody in Charlotte congratulated him when he signed with the Lakers. I follow a lot of them on Twitter, Instagram and whatnot, and they were all happy for him to go to Los Angeles. So I don't really know what led to the lack of 
reports. I mean, it, maybe he was just really interested in joining a veteran team and he was just kind of waiting it out to see what that veteran team was and who would have interest in him. because otherwise, yeah, I mean, there was absolutely no reports at all. And to the point where I was like Googling things to make sure that I hadn't missed, <laughs> missed stuff, even though I was on Twitter throughout that whole time. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't, other than maybe he just earnestly really wanted to be with a veteran team. I, I don't really know why he, why nobody went after him or anything like that, um, during the off season. But, uh, if, I mean, if it is that, then that's just more reason to kind of be excited that he wanted to come to a situation like Los Angeles too. Hey man, young guys ring chase too. You know, it's not just the yeah. old dudes. It's not just the old dudes. It's never too early to start. <laughs> never, too early. never too early. Uh, Alex, what are you writing? Of, well, do you have anything specific that you're writing about none? Or is it going to be like a preview as well? Um, yeah, it's actually just the shooting. Uh, like yeah. I mentioned earlier, like if you look at just um, like B-ball index does really good stuff in terms of breaking down shooting in terms of like shot quality. And like Malink Monk has maybe some of the worst shot quality of any player in the last his whole career really so i think that's what i'm most excited about like jacob mentioned like him gain a playoff playmakers like westbrook and lebron i think his job's just gonna be a lot easier next season and i think that's what i'm most excited about and i really do hope uh, he can carry over that wide open and open shooting percentage like he shot 58 percent from the corners last season um he didn't shoot a lot of them but when he did he made most of them so just things like that just kind of looking at his career up to now and hope seeing fail um carry over next season or not well i believe training camp kicks off in 11 days the 25th if i'm correct uh and 29th 29th it's a little over two weeks so yeah. two weeks and then we got the first preseason game october 3rd so not too far away to get our first look at these guys and what we can possibly see uh jacob we sincerely appreciate you joining us man um, and I hope the people that like read your stuff, listen to this and get a chance to know more about Malik Monk, because I wonder how many of our listeners were like me were like, who, what, what's going on here? <laughs> so, uh, I know I learned more and I know I am still now more excited to watch him and see what he can bring to this team. Uh, you can follow Jacob at Jacob root on Twitter. Um, and you can catch his work on silverscreenroll.com and listen to his podcast here on Mondays as well. Uh, Jacob. Alex, this was so much fun, guys. Thank you guys for everything. And Jacob, thanks again for joining us. Yeah, anytime, guys. We still have a, a wrestling podcast to do as well. Alex. Oh, that's right. You know what's funny? Me and Alex, that was during those months where we had no Laker news. That's what we did. We just did wrestling props <laughs> for Lakers. So we have to do that if there ever is a, a slow week. But I doubt there's going to be any slow weeks. Yeah, man. Alex got to listen to all my late 90s wrestling references because that's all I got. <laughs> I was going to say, we got to get you onto AEW, Alex. I've that, heard. I've heard 90s that. 90s wrestling's out. You got to get into this new stuff. I'm seeing, a, dude. I, I see on Twitter. <laughs> for me. Say, as, a, as, a recent, as a recent transfer, you absolutely need to get in on AEW. Is, is WWE just going away because like Vince is going away or is it, are they just poaching all the good talent? Like what is, what, what is they're letting go quick. of the good talent? Like they're letting go of the good talent because they don't kind of meet this criteria. I don't want to get into this whole stuff, but yeah, it's <laughs> just uh, think of it like almost like a little money ball type thing where they're kind of picking up this talent yeah. that's underutilized and some older talent that maybe is it getting the chance that, is that where sting to. is. Stings there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. See, I saw that, you know, I, I like, saw uh, CM Punk. 
He's like a grandpa now for like this young guy who looks like him. Darby, dude, he was old when he was wrestling in WCW. <laughs> Arn Anderson's over there too. Is yeah, Ric Flair yeah. over there? I just saw Ric Flair got released. Might be coming over soon. The soon. Nature Boy. You know what? Let me know when they get Stone Cold, and then I'll definitely <laughs> tune in. <laughs> All right, guys, this is awesome. Thanks again, man. And uh, we'll talk to everybody next week. You guys, make sure you subscribe, Spotify, Apple, Google, anywhere that there's any uh, audio podcast, subscribe to Silver Screen and Roll there. You can catch this show on Tuesdays, Taco Tuesday, at Alex M. Regla on Twitter, at Alex Padilla 86 on Twitter. That's me. Um, and we'll talk to everybody next week. Thank you.